So today on Immigration Nerds, we expand the scope of what occurrences actually pulls the levers of migration, namely how certain world events may initiate the movement or in contrast, the containment of the surrounding people. Today's focus, public health outbreaks. One of the most dramatic steps that China has taken is that the city of Wuhan, where this new virus originated, has now essentially been quarantined. A bit of forewarning. To initially get our bearings on the nature of pandemic's effect over migration, we have to dabble a bit into the science. A virus is a what uh, many would consider an obligate intracellular parasite, which means... But no worries, we're in good hands. That was Dr. Erin Sorrell. She'll navigate us through the process. Dr. Sorrell is a member of the Center for a Global Health Science and Security, as well as an assistant research professor in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at Georgetown University. In what ways does public health crises dictate decisions to control the movement and travel of people? And where can global cooperation better assist migrant communities that are disproportionately affected? I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. Well, I guess let's start from square one. What is a virus and how does it spread? <laughs> it's a very important question. So a virus is a what uh, many would consider an obligate intracellular parasite, which means it is um, entity that survives in a host or in a living organism. Uh, it infects that host, replicates, and then is able to spread. Most viruses are not self-containing or meaning that they're not able to survive outside of a reservoir species or a reservoir host. Um, and so they are made up of two different types of, of genetic information, either RNA or DNA. Um, and there's a number of ways that viruses can spread, uh, whether that is through uh, what we would consider kind of our common cold uh, viruses, uh, through coughing, sneezing, direct contact. There are other viruses uh, we've all become much more familiar with, uh, some viral hemorrhagic fevers uh, that are viruses that spread through very close contact um, and through infected uh, material like right. um, blood and um, different bodily secretions. Um, so there's a number of ways that the viruses can transmit um, and infect people, animals, plants, the environment. In your sort of research with uh, influenza, I know recently the coronavirus has taken the news and it's and it's growing and it's trying to be managed and maintained. Do you find any sort of similarities in terms of managing this spread that government agencies or maybe the WHO sort of takes in order to prevent the expansion? Some of the options we have to contain infection and prevent infection are similar across the board. So thinking about washing your hands with warm water and soap uh, for at least 20 seconds, uh, covering your mouth when you cough and sneeze, and thinking about um, social distancing, particularly for those individuals who are ill, are the best ways to prevent seasonal flu and the best ways to prevent this COVID-19 transmission. So I think it's important to consider that short-term restrictions on movement can help prevent the spread of infectious diseases, but that long-term isolation and long-term quarantine have implications for uh, society that um, would be more impactful 
then prevents the potential efficacy of a long-term uh, quarantine and isolation. Uh, so while travel bans have been put in place, um, I think it's important to consider other aspects. Did you have any alternatives in mind? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think that we're learning more and more each day. Okay. Um, and one of the concerns that I think a number of us are looking at is the, the potential spread of COVID-19 on the African continent. There's a number of Chinese migrant workers that will be returning to their jobs in Africa. Uh, there are a number of countries that are preparing, um, but making sure that they have the capacities to respond, I think will be one of the, the most important things to containing this virus um, on the continent. Right. Uh, so, well, as you know, this is an immigration podcast. So uh, we're thinking about the ways of when outbreaks like this happen, whether there's government response, uh, how do people respond, the potential economic impact, the travel restrictions. Uh, I, I believe uh, in the Times, uh, I read an article that it found that at least 150 million people in China, that's around 10% of the country's population are facing travel restrictions, right? When they can leave their house and when not to. Um, is that typical when it's a time like this? So quarantines and isolations in response to transmissible diseases is something that has been used in the past, um, and there have been various degrees of success. This is by far the largest travel ban, isolation, quarantine taken by, by a country. I think the, mm. la the last one that we saw was in Liberia in 2014, where roughly 70,000 people uh, were mm. quarantined based on the risk of the spread of Ebola at that time. Right. And it did not go well. It was responded by um, uprising riots um, and, and, and rightly so because it was not necessarily communicated effectively and there was not the trust in uh, the public health or the security infrastructure or institutions to be able to communicate effectively the risk and the reasons for isolation quarantine at that time. While this is definitely what we would consider a draconian measure, um, and there are a number of debates on ethical processes involving mm -hmm. isolation quarantine of a population, there are limited efficacy that we've seen in certain cases. So for example, being able to say, here is the source or here is the epicenter of an outbreak if we're able to quarantine a population and ask for either self-quarantine or self-isolation um, or social distancing it can help countries gain the time to respond properly and treat those that are at risk as well as countries that may not have cases there have the ability to then prepare uh, but i don't believe there has ever been a full fully effective isolation or quarantine that's been able to contain an outbreak. So it delays possibly the, the spread, but that's we've seen, you know, yeah, but we've seen yeah. here, you know, this, this outbreak um, has global breadth. So um, we, I think there are some concerns about the length of bans for travel and movement in and around uh, China, not only within China, but then also to a number of countries. I think there's about 14 countries that have travel bans in place for uh, right. individuals uh, traveling directly from from China. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean here in the United States that's the case from flights coming in and out of China especially from the Wuhan district, 
right? And if anybody has traveled from that area, it is a 14-day restriction to get checked out from doctors to make sure that they don't themselves have the virus. So it's just taking those precautionary measures to make sure it doesn't expand further. So, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it, it makes sense in, in that sort of way. We was just thinking about from a historical perspective, what pandemics in history that you know of have led to the displacement of groups. Um, I'm thinking about just being in that situation where something like a Black Plague comes down. Do you take your whole family? Do you move? Do you ever come back? Or are you permanently in this new territory because of some epidemic that happened in your home country? I was just curious if you've come across anything like that. It's really interesting to consider, you know, do pandemics displace people? And I think it's it's an interesting perspective because mm -hmm. if you have lack of governance, instability, issues of conflict that can impact migration, you can elevate the risk of a pandemic, right? Because you may not have the resources in place, you mm. may not have the focus on health systems, um, and that can lead to diseases emerging or re-emerging. Um, Pandemics could also threaten international order that could lead to migration and internal displacement or forced displacement. Um, but to answer your question directly, I don't know of a direct causal migration from a pandemic disease. That being said, mm. and, uh, and to your point about even going back to the Black Plague, that that pandemic and really a number of pandemics, if you think about 1918, uh, Spanish influenza, um, and a number of more recent um, outbreaks and epidemics like SARS, um, even smallpox in the 1980s, have impacted the way that communities operate. It has impacted economies, trade, uh, travel, um, and in ways has redirected or restructured how systems operate. So while it may not directly impact a community's location, it may and has definitely impacted the way that communities and, and nations operate. I read that, you know, in Starbucks, they, they announced it closed basically half of its 4,000 stores in China, right, be, due to the coronavirus. So people are not able to go to work. Stocks have actually dropped. So people, <laughs> bakers are uh, tracking that second by second. <laughs> and like that, that's a, a economic, a global yeah. economic impact. Could I... If I could add something to your point, because I think it's really important to consider is the impact of a epidemic um, and a pandemic on a community, on an economy. When we look at particularly this COVID-19 outbreak and epidemic, the impact not only on uh, businesses in China, we think about the, the restrictions that um, China put on movement in within the country. They expanded mm -hmm. the... the um, the travel ban uh, beyond the Lunar New Year. So people are just now coming back to their jobs. Factories have been closed. Uh, businesses have been closed. A number of people who were overseas visiting family um, or friends during the lunar holidays may not be able to come back to their jobs in China. Um, wow. And so they are at risk of potentially losing their jobs or, or having issues there. So the individual economic impacts are huge, as well as thinking about automotive industry, uh, electronics, um, robotics, and pharmaceutical industries, all that have major uh, supply chains in China and the impacts then of those materials being able to not only 
um, be manufactured, but um, be able to um, kind of pick up uh, after this this delay. Right. Um, and we're seeing that impact a number of, of, of sectors. And I think one of the more um, challenging ones is thinking from a pharmaceutical perspective, um, the uh, low shortage of uh, protective equipment for healthcare workers, not just in China, but in any country looking at treating patients, not right. just COVID not just COVID-19 patients, but but any patient um, presenting with an illness is gonna need um, protective equipment as well as those healthcare workers are gonna need that protective equipment to treat patients. So this, this uh, epidemic has not only impacted our ability to respond, um, but also potentially the healthcare workforce being able to respond to other um, important diseases uh, mm-hmm. in China as well as other affected countries. Got it. Got it. So finishing up here, i like to give you a chance to give your dream proposal of if everything worked out the, the way that you want it. So in terms of global health programs and policies, what are you most excited to see implemented? What would you like to see implemented? One of my hopes is that we can look at policies that integrate migration and health better. There, I think there's been a lot of great movement in the last couple of years, um, thinking about the protection of migrants, both from a refugee and an internally displaced person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the WHO drafted at the World Health Assembly uh, last year um, uh, guiding principles and an action plan for the promotion of the health of refugees and migrants and looking mm-hmm. at what are the priorities and the policies that can be put into place. Um, that excites me that that has come to that level and there's collaboration across a number of UN agencies um, and other international organizations to think about how we can uh, promote health, uh, provide access, um, and think about how health care is sought in refugees and in migrants and IDPs. And so for me, my dream would be that that action plan comes into fruition and we see nations really putting migrant health as a, as a priority for their national health and for global health writ large. Got it. Got it. And when you write that groundbreaking policy, <laughs> you know, we can have you back on. Fantastic. And you can give the whole spiel. So. Uh, sounds, sounds good. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Ian. Thank you to assistant producers, Luke Bianco and David White and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.